This morning we're continuing our fall series, What Disciples Do, as each week we're exploring another aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. Our text today continues where we left off in Luke's Gospel, uh, in chapter 15. If you recall, and uh, if you missed, here's, here's just a quick catch-up. In chapter 15, we learned about how Jesus was about the work of seeking out and saving the lost. Now we move to chapter 16, which is all about money. In particular, how the endless striving for wealth can get in the way of following Jesus. Again, in true Jesus form, he reflects on this by telling a parable. Luke's gospel has the most parables of any of the four. John's gospel, by comparison, has no parables. Mark has five. Matthew has 20. 15 of them are unique to Matthew. Luke's has 26, and about half of those are unique to Luke. Remember that when we see a parable, our understanding of the world goes out the window. It's no longer a story about the world as we know it, but rather about the world as God knows it, and the world that God is bringing about in Christ. So we need to put on like a special pair of glasses, parable glasses, parable eyes, to see the world in a new way as we hear these stories. Uh, today's reading in the lectionary and its theme come at an opportune time for me. This afternoon, shortly after our, our uh, WPS party, I'll be flying to Atlanta to study at Columbia Seminary for a special project I'm working on with one of their New Testament professors on the intersection of faith and finance. So needless to say, the theme has been on my mind for some time now. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 16th chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the first verse. Then Jesus said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that he was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me an account of your management, because you can't be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking this position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 50. Then he asked another, how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
and wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. So having young kids at home means having a lot of toys. And we frequently have pieces missing from said toys. Sometimes they're under the couch, sometimes they're in another room, and sometimes I have no earthly idea where they could have gone. Parents, we all know this struggle. Recently, I watched my daughter put together one of those small puzzles. We both knew what the puzzle was supposed to look like. We've put it together a million times before. But one piece was now missing. The end result was almost there, but we were missing one little piece that would have tied it all together. It's a little frustrating. I was reminded of this experience this week while trying to wrestle with our parable today, the parable of the dishonest manager. Jesus gives us the clear moral of the story at the end. You cannot serve God and wealth. But this parable, the story that leads to the moral, is among the most confusing of Jesus' parables, if not the very most confusing. We get the answer at the end, but we're not really sure how we got there. There are numerous interpretations of each element of the parable, but all roads lead to Jesus' words in verse 13. You cannot serve God and wealth. We're going to walk through our story, of course, but rather than trying to figure it out or crack the puzzle, I think our task, rather, is to wrestle with this story a bit. Only then can we turn to Jesus' words at the end and figure out what they mean for us today as disciples, trying hard to follow Jesus. So the story starts off with a rich man who has essentially a property manager, a financial advisor, whatever term today you want to use to think of it, someone who's handling his estate. Word gets out that this manager is serving him dishonestly. This is the missing piece of the puzzle. We don't really get what that means. The accusation could be that he's stealing from him, or that he's simply being negligent, or something else completely. It's a missing piece, so we're going to do our best to understand the story without it. Learning he's about to lose his job, the manager suddenly goes into survival mode. He can't fathom living without this job. He's too proud to beg, not strong enough to work with his hands. It's part of who he is. It's his identity. So he tries to save face by making deals with his boss's debtors. He takes one person's debt of 100 jugs of olive oil and makes it 50 so he can collect the debt. He takes another debt of 100 containers of wheat and makes it 80. His shrewd dealings please his boss, and it seemed as if he saved his job. Now, Jesus' words are puzzling enough, but the big question from the parable is, what has this manager really done to earn his boss's praise? Was he simply acting shrewdly by reducing any interest owed, which, by the way, was forbidden by Hebrew law? Or was he lowering the amount owed by cutting out his own commission in the deal? There could even be something we're missing entirely. It's no wonder that, that uh, one particular scholar calls this parable an interpretive mountain to climb, of which there seems to be no summit, at least not in this life. Now, it seems like we need to wrestle with this one a little. However we understand it, the boss is praising his manager simply for getting the job done. It seems there's something of the scrappiness of the manager that's to be commended by Jesus' followers. 
But this commendation comes with one big caution, one so big that to me it takes over the entire meaning of the passage. The discussion turns towards being faithful versus dishonest with what is entrusted to your care. But it ends with the warning. Just as someone can't serve two masters, you cannot serve God and wealth. That word for wealth in Greek is mammona, and it's uh, from which we get the transliterated word mammon, which you might have heard before. That, that's actually how the King James Version just writes it out, uh, mammona. Now, it's likely derived from a, an Aramaic verb, aman, which means to trust. So this word for wealth here has actually nothing to do with currency, but quite literally means whatever you put your trust in. The concern that Jesus raises is that mammon, wealth, can become an idol, even a god. When we prioritize our stuff or the striving for wealth over our relationship with God, money takes over our life. Wealth becomes a personal master. We're sucked into wanting more, better, newer, shinier. When this happens, we're unable to truly love God because we're too busy chasing more. We're unable to love others because when wealth is our master, people are seen as competition rather than neighbor. Before long, as the author Chuck Palniuk wrote, the stuff you own ends up owning you. We all know this reality. It's the one ingrained in our society and world around us. We all struggle with this, too. I know I certainly do. You know, I feel happy and content with my little iPhone here. And then last week, the new one was released. And suddenly, I want this piece of junk out of my life. <laughs> I mean, come on, the new one has three cameras, and this one only has two. It's one silly example, but... Friends, we know what it means. We know this reality when wants become needs really fast. Or even worse, when we start to measure ourselves by these things. Our income, what kind of car we drive. Or even worse, by our debts. When this happens, it's clear that mammon has taken control of our lives. To the struggle, to this worldly reality that's as old as time, Jesus comes in saying to his disciples, you cannot serve both God and wealth. So what do we do? Now, look, nowhere in Luke's gospel does Jesus tell his followers to completely ditch money and to withdraw from the economic world to go live off the grid somewhere. Nor does he tell us to completely divest from participating in the worldly markets that sometimes do harm to our neighbors. If anything, this parable tells us of the inevitability of doing so. You know, because our society is sensitive when talking about money, I think we automatically hear Jesus' words here as negative. We hear them as a scold. You cannot serve God and wealth. Our defenses go up. I know my first reading of the text this week, that's exactly what I did. My defenses went right up. But after wrestling with this story all week, you know, I don't really see Jesus' words, you cannot serve God and wealth, as negative. Rather, I think Jesus' intention is that they're freeing, they're liberating. Here Jesus says, hey, you no longer need to serve wealth. As my follower, you serve God alone. 
You no longer need to bow to the gods of wealth who tell you that you always need one more, one better, one shinier. Luke's lengthy discussions about finances serve to give followers of Jesus some guidance on how we are to faithfully participate in the economic systems of our world. Luke's Jesus helps us envision how we can live as faithful stewards rather than as dishonest managers who squander finances and exploit our neighbors for our own gain. As disciples, we serve God, not wealth. But money is and will remain a necessary part of our lives. We need money to live comfortably, to provide for our families, to save for retirement, to pay taxes, to ensure we live in a safe, healthy, and thriving community. As disciples, we're called to participate in our economic world, to earn, save, invest, spend, and give of our resources in sustainable and life-giving ways. But this can never become our why. For disciples, money is always a means to an end, never the end itself. Our why is always God. It's always about loving God and loving one another as neighbors. As disciples, since the very beginning of the church, the way we remember this why is through two actions, gratitude and generosity. Practicing gratitude, friends, helps us to find contentment in our lives. It reminds us that everything we have is itself a gift from God. Practicing generosity, freely giving of our resources, shows both ourselves and the world around us that money doesn't control our lives. That, in fact, we serve God and not wealth. It allows us to be defined not by greed, but by generosity. It allows us to see a world through a lens of abundance rather than scarcity. To see others as neighbors rather than threats and competition. Through the practices of gratitude and generosity, money is no longer an end. It starts to become a tool for participating in God's kingdom of love and compassion. Friends, we are not our stuff. We're not the car we drive or the square footage of our home. We are not our bank account balances or our incomes and certainly not our debts. We are children of God. Christ has set us free from serving wealth that we might boldly serve God as disciples. Though we'll continue to struggle, though we'll continue to stumble, let us strive to live in gratitude and service of this God alone. May we find ways to be faithful stewards of the resources for which God has entrusted us, living lives of generosity, showing compassion and care for our neighbors, that we too might participate in God's coming kingdom through Christ our Lord. May it be so, friends. Amen.